Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another live edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in depth with the people who build our sports community. If you're joining us live on Facebook, feel free to drop a comment. And as long as it's PG, we just might read it on the air. I say PG because this is a family-friendly podcast. And if you're watching this on demand through our YouTube or Spotify channels, we're glad you can join us there as well. Joining me is a Hopkins graduate all the way back in 2011. When you think of Hopkins, chances are Paige Becker's or Nia Coffee come to mind, but Hopkins has so many more stories beyond the big names. Ebony Livingston is one of them. She won the 2011 Class 4A state championship, played four years at Minnesota Crookston, and as you can see with her apparel now on the coaching staff at Robbinsdale Cooper Girls Basketball. Unfortunately, their season ended prematurely due to COVID protocols, but the hope is this time. Next winter, we'll have something closer to a normal season, and we don't have to worry about (laughs) games being canceled or moved, but Ebony and so many other coaches and players trying to make the most with what they have. Ebony, thanks for joining us, and I know we were joking about this all week, but for someone who claimed to not have an interesting story, you got 54 likes on your Facebook profile. And in fact, I'm already starting to see some shares come in on this live stream. So it may not seem interesting to you, but I'm willing to bet for basketball fans out there. Uh, they can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you having me. We'll see. I don't I don't think it's interesting. So anything special. But like I was telling you earlier this week, like I just have a great support system I have. I've had one for as long as I can remember. So those are just some of my supporters out there. Probably a lot of family and friends, honestly. (laughs) Plenty of supporters. And as I've learned over the years, uh, you and I probably have a lot of mutual friends just because of our shared connection through basketball. Absolutely. But I do like to start from the beginning with these oral history sessions. So Ebony, do you recall the first moment or memory that got you attracted to the sport of basketball? (laughs) Um, Yes, actually. So I used to play softball, actually. I was really big into softball. Both my parents played softball and I played softball with um, a couple of girls who their moms were coaching them as well on the basketball team. So I think one day after softball was over, like I was just hanging out with them and they're like, oh yeah, we like, you know, we have practice today. Do you want to come? I'm like, sure. Like I've never really you know, done basketball. So I went to their practice. They asked me to join. And like the first thing I remember is like she blew her whistle. And the thing was, you know, if you were dribbling or whatever you're doing, you had to immediately stop and get in like a defensive stance. And so I was just like, what do I do? Do I do I drop the ball? Like what how do I stand? Like I knew absolutely nothing about basketball from that moment though. I was like, yeah, I like I like this. Let's let's get into this. I'm enjoying this already. Like I was super nervous didn't expect to be involved at all but she got me into it and it's been good ever since honestly (laughs) 
I've taken learned a few things about basketball since then. Yeah, you know, just just a little bit. <laughs> and as you were growing up and making your way through the ranks, uh, at the time you were an athlete. Hopkins wasn't the household name that it is now. They had a couple of state championships, I believe, under their belts. Uh, with Leslie Knight in 2004 and then again in 2006, but this was before the Coffee Sisters, Paige Beckers, mm -hmm. and Nia Holly and all the others that have turned Hopkins into this national sensation. But as you made your way up through traveling and then made your way to Hopkins, what led you to attend that school and what was the vibe back then? Yeah, so honestly, I went to Hopkins because of the Coffee Sisters. We were, um, we got really close in AAU. We used to play on the same AAU team. Well, Sydney and I did. Obviously, Mia was a little younger. Um, and when it got time to go to high school, you know, we didn't know where I was going to go. We didn't really know too much about like, you know, big sports places or what exactly I wanted to do. But being with them, they're like, you know, we're going to Hopkins. Like, let's keep our girls together. So, you know, Ebony should go to Hopkins too. So I went to Hopkins. Um, you know, I did some of the stuff that they did over the summer. You know, there was always um, like breakfast club. I think that's what they used to call it and open gyms and stuff like that. And it was really a commitment to be honest. Like when you go to Hopkins, when you start getting involved, like you realize that this is not something they just do casually. Like it's not a oh, next week we might have this and this, you know, it's, we have this going on this day, this going on this day. If you want to be involved, like I highly suggest you come, you know, then after a couple of weeks, we have this going on, this going on. And it was like, it was a grind literally from the moment you decided you wanted to go there and actually be a part of the basketball team, then you were committed to it if you wanted to be successful, obviously. So it was literally start to finish you we're learning from the older girls, you know, if you weren't there, people are like, where are you at? Where are you supposed to be? You know, like people were holding you accountable from the start. So it was literally a commitment from the moment you step foot in Hopkins and say, hey, I want to be on the basketball team. You got to be committed right then and there. What would you say the culture was like at Hopkins? Again, they had a couple of state titles, but it took all the way until your senior year before you finally got the chance to hoist the crown. Of course, you grew up in the era of Taylor Hill when she was one of the dominant players. And then you had the Lakeville North team with Cassie Rochelle and Rachel Bannum. So, you know, it's not like <laughs> it was an overrated group or anything. There were some other deserving players and teams, uh, but you know, now we look at, Oh, if they don't finish first, it's a first world problem. But you know, sometimes I think folks forget there are other talented teams out there. But what was it like for you as a player? Oh man, it was it was competitive. I'll say that there, like you always say, or like you've been telling me, like there were players before Paige, you know, before the Coffee Sisters that came through that were big names. But like you said, with our senior year finally getting to the tournament and winning the tournament, I feel like that's when people started realizing like, yeah, absolutely. These, this is like a program that's going to be good for a while. Cause I believe we have, we had like 11, maybe 12 girls that like all of us, you know, the starting five or the first five off the bench could have went B1 and played, you know, basketball. So it was, it was competitive from start to finish. I mean, like even as a younger girl, like I look back at some of the girls that I grew up um, like watching, like, 
Kara Ellison, like watching her work ethic, watching her play or like Jasmine Mendez, like it was never where you could just show up and walk through stuff. Like you had to compete for your spot. Like every day you had to compete for your spot. And you spoke of your relationship with the Coffee Sisters. How did that help you get adjusted to Hopkins? And even though you were a little bit older than Mia, for example, when you saw what Sydney and Nia were able to do, both of them went D1. And where did Nia end up? I forget. You know, whatever happened to her? I don't remember. I think she went to Northwestern. And then when she went to the WNBA, she played for the aces i believe or something like that i don't know she wherever she is she's doing her thing <laughs> she's working so <laughs> i was saying that somewhat sarcastically but i uh, see so mm -hmm. you still remember she actually just signed with the los angeles sparks and i think she also oh, played for atlanta and phoenix so she has gotcha. played with a few teams but you know such is life as a woman's professional athlete mm -hmm. but you got to play alongside them for a couple of years mm -hmm. how did the relationship you had with them how did that help you get acclimated with hopkins or i should say you got there first so maybe how did <laughs> you help them and how did it grow as you got to be high school teammates for a program that was about to become mm -hmm. the headliner in class 4a yeah um well you know they have been good for as long as I can remember. So Sydney and I actually were pretty much, because we were so close in age, we were pretty much on the same team for the most part. Um, when I first started playing basketball, like I was not good at all. Like I was not a basketball player. So playing with the Coffee Sisters and especially playing for Richard or like having Richard as, you know, like another like male figure in my life alongside my father, you know, he really helped me with the game of basketball like he would take me to work out with him because they were honestly they were so far ahead of me skill wise because I just like it I was not a really good basketball player like I was a very aggressive basketball player I was a defensive player but scoring wise that was not what I was known for so he would take me to the gyms with them you know we would always work out and he would work on my game so playing against them being that you know, they were better so much earlier, you know, it just helped me develop that much faster. So I was able to play alongside them. And of course, Nia has been great as long as I can remember. So as soon as she got to high school, you know, she was up there with us as well. And we got to see just how talented all of you were. And that is one thing that has been a constant no matter what year I cover Hopkins that starting five usually one of the most potent in the state but they often carry several backups who can hold their own as well what would you make of those first few years again you know Hopkins had some strong teams but you ran up against Taylor Hill and Minneapolis South the first couple of years and then the tides turned where I think you were able to get back into the state tournament but it, it took you a while again up until your senior season so what would you make of that journey and how do you think it helped prepare you to finally get over the hump as a senior? Yeah, um, I think, you know, you get knocked down a few times, so many times, like you have nothing else to do but stand back up. So like when we lose to South, because I mean, Taylor Hill was a monster, you know, you know what that loss is like, you know, what you have to work on when you play him next year. I think one year we lost to Wyzetta, I believe. 
Um, so you know what that losing is, you know what that losing feeling is like, and you get tired of it, honestly. I mean, nobody likes to continue to lose at the same point or, you know, right before the big tournament. Nobody, nobody likes that you get tired of it. So I think the senior, my senior year, when we had, like I said, I think we had like 10 or 11 girls, like our first five and then us in the second five, like we could all come in and there wouldn't be a drop off. So when teams played us, you know, their best players would sub out and take a break and they might not have anybody that could come in and produce those same numbers of that same efficiency that they were doing. Whereas, you know, if somebody like Brianna Williams got tired, you know, we could sub somebody like TT Starks in the game to take over and there wouldn't be a drop off. So I think our senior year, like having all that, we were just that much more effective than other teams because we had numbers. Like we had way more players. Like I said, I think almost all of us could have went D1 or high D2 and not all the other teams had that, you know, they had like a solid five, maybe six. So I don't want to say they couldn't keep up, but you know, <laughs> they couldn't keep up with us. <laughs> and all these years later, that's still the case for the Hopkins team. <laughs> I remember when Paige graduated and everyone wanted to get a piece of her or see her in action. And I'm going, Oh, well, keep an eye out for Maya Naji or yeah. uh, Taylor Woodson or some of these other players. I'm going, yeah, there are a lot of new faces that will be just as fun to watch in the future. And, you know, I can't wait to get back out there when it's safe. Mm -hmm. So your senior year comes around and you had a strong mark 30 and two, I believe mm -hmm. the season also had an interesting wrinkle that I don't think would happen anymore. At the time Hopkins hosted their own holiday tournament and that created a situation where you played a conference rival four times mm -hmm. in Eden Prairie, your two regular season games, they played in the tournament. So you got to face them that December. And then you faced them again in the state tournament. Mm -hmm. They beat you once, you beat them three times, but what do you think was different about that senior season that led you to believe this could be it? This could be our chance to solidify our status as a basketball rich school. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that a year, um, I just remember Coach Kaz would always tell us like, there's nobody that out here that can beat you guys. There's nobody that can keep up with you guys. Like, we shouldn't lose any games. I think we lost to Eden Prairie and did we lose to Lakeville North once? Minnetonka was the other team at the end of the regular season. Yep. Okay. Minnetonka it was. Yeah. That loss to Eden Prairie, we were all kind of just like, like what, what the heck happened? Because, you know, people had been talking like they should go undefeated. They shouldn't lose. They should get the state. So when we lost, it was kind of just like a wake up call. Like, yeah, we shouldn't be losing, but that doesn't mean it can't happen, right? So Coach Cos would always stay on us. And he was really big on the little things like showing up to practice early, making sure we had our playbooks, like all those little things, which is something I still preach to my girls as I coach, like all those little things he just kept harping on all season. So when we got to the end of the year and got to the state tournament, it was like, we've done all the little things. Now we just need to do what we're best at. Just go out there and play basketball. And that's pretty much what we did um, to end up winning stakes. I think when we beat Eden Prairie, it was a close game the first half. And then the second half, we kind of just ran away with it, I believe. Don't quote me on that. 
Well, I happen to have the box score right here. 67-45 was the final in that one. And I, and I do remember covering that game. I That's when I used to cover the finals in person before they changed the format. And long story, but it didn't make sense for me to attend the games in person as far as getting sound bites, interviews and the like. But it was a runaway. And that usually is the door when you cover a Hopkins game. Not always. There are some teams that can hang with them. And even teams that might not beat Hopkins nine times out of 10, you know, if your threes go in or if you don't commit any turnovers or if something goes right for you, you catch a break, who knows what can happen? You know this being a player yourself. But as you got closer to that state championship, how confident were you as far as winning it? Um, the first couple games, we were pretty pretty confident maybe like the first game I think we played Buffalo the first game is that right it was Buffalo Buffalo yeah I think we were pretty confident about that one um I don't remember who we played next but the Eden Prairie one I can't say we were like just knew we were going to win it so to speak but we were I think we were just comfortable like we had got over all the humps that we needed to get over to be state champions. And I feel like we went out there and we did, like I said, all the little things that coach had preached about. And then we just played our game. Like, now I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it was super hard, but everything just, you know, things start clicking right around the state tournament, you know, March Madness in general. So that game, and especially having already lost to them once, it was just like fuel to our fire to just, you know, take it home just there's nothing else to do but for us to win and take it home you did as you noted you were able to get a runaway win for the first of three in a row mm -hmm. in that era of Hopkins girls basketball now you couldn't take part in their second and third straight titles because you had graduated and were playing for Minnesota Crookston but to get a state championship in your senior year you knew you had the potential and then you finally reached that milestone. What did that mean for you? Oh, it was great. It was like the icing on the cake, honestly. Like, I mean, you, everybody wants to win a state championship, right? Everybody wants their senior year to go out with a bang. So doing that, I think in the moment, we didn't realize what we were doing or what we were starting. Like, yeah, we knew we were good. We knew we were different but you know looking back on it you're kind of just like like yeah that was like an absolutely amazing run but when you're in the moment you're just like I want to win I want to win I want to do good I have to keep doing good you know I want to win I want to win so bad so you don't realize when you're in the moment like history is being made or you know things are just amazing so to speak but like looking back on it now and then especially for the two years after that when they continued you were just like you know, you think about it, you're like, wow, like we started something amazing at Hopkins that, you know, it should continue on. Because like you said, they still have great talent over there now. That hasn't changed. Something I wanted to ask you about, Ebony, you know, throughout your time as a high school athlete in particular, and even at the college level, you, know, you weren't necessarily the star player. In that semifinal, you had 15 points, I think, off the bench against White Bear Lake in 2011. But you know, a lot of the attention was going to the Coffee Sisters, for example. And as we noted now, it, it's Paige Beckers and Amaya Battle. 
Maya Naji and Taylor Woodson. And I'm sure there will be more players that I haven't heard about yet who will make a name for themselves. So you were one of those role players for lack of a better phrase. How did you, how did you embrace that role? Yes, you're with the school. Maybe you could have started and been the star player somewhere else, but it sounds like you really enjoyed the friendship you got to grow with the Coffee Sisters. And I imagine there was more to it that made your four years at Hopkins fun and enlightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, like you said, I was a role player. Like I embraced my role. Like I had known for a while, like I've never been, well, I've never considered that I was the best player on the court, but I knew I was the most aggressive player on the court, right? I knew nobody was going to outwork me. Like that was my role. Like if you ask Coach Cos to this day, every time I see him, you know, he's like my little pit bull or, you know, the most aggressive person he's coached. Like he will say that to this day because that was my job. Like I may not score in a game or like you said, I may have 15 points, which was definitely not normal, but like, I'm going to come in and, I'm going to play defense. You know, I'm going to guard some of their best players. You know, I'm going to hustle. Like I'm going to make good passes. I'm going to get assists. Like I'm going to do those little things. And I was, com I mean, I was comfortable with that. Like would I've loved to score more points. Yeah. But I wasn't a scorer like that. That was for the coffee sisters. That was for Brianna. You know, they took that on, you know, Julia Weimer was our point guard. Gracia was our post. You know, we had Taylor Anderson, a super great defender off the bench. Like I just filled in my role. I think I think I got six man of the year, actually, my senior year. I think I did. Yeah, so I, like you said, I was a role player. I had no problem with that. Like I said, I've never considered myself the best basketball player on the court, but nobody's going to be more aggressive and nobody's going to outwork me on the court. That's, that's what I did. I almost forgot that Taylor Anderson was a teammate. I had her on my podcast last fall. So, you know, it's like, oh, that I would not have sat well if the word got to her. It's like, wait, <laughs> no, she and I, we talked for over two hours. It was great catching up with her. And I'm enjoying this conversation with you. Owing to your last point about being a role player, the pit, the pit bull. <laughs> not too many players get that moniker, but I could see that out of you. But as you were growing up and even through your high school and college years, who are the athletes you looked up to, the players you idolized or wanted to be like? Oh, that's a good question. In high school? Mm. Well, this could be any time, you know, whether you were a little kid or once you got to high school, because I know a lot of high school athletes, they follow the college and the pro games, but you know, this is your story. I just was curious who your role models in the sport of basketball are. Um, I think... One of my favorite players, especially when I was younger, was Candace Parker. Um, I, I mean, like she was an amazing athlete to begin with, but her attitude was just so different. And I mean, there was a time when, you know, female athletes, they weren't supposed to be that aggressive or, you know, they're supposed to be calm, cool and collective, but she didn't care. And that's kind of like how I was. It's like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to be tough. Might I, I might get a technical, sure, Coach Kyle's will make me run for it, because that definitely happened, but, like, that's going to happen, that's the player I looked up to, honestly, I think, I really do think she was one of my favorite players to watch, so I kind of just modeled her attitude, there was no way I could do what she did on the court offensively, but <laughs> her attitude and her work ethic, I definitely mimic that, I believe. 
Ebony, I think you're selling yourself short. I think there's still time for you to go out there, win a WNBA championship and become a broadcaster with TNT. If she can do it. Uh, it might be a little too late. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of washed up now. I just, I can help other girls do it. I just coach them. <laughs> We'd like to have a little fun here, of course, in the podcast series. <laughs> On the subject of college ball, as we noted, you played for Minnesota Crookston and you did well for them too. Average 7.1 points per game as a senior. How many schools did you get offers from and what led you to settle on a division two school in Minnesota Crookston? Um, I believe I only got two college offers. One, I think, was like a D3 school somewhere. And then um, the other one was NDSU. Now, the offer from NDSU fell through. Um, it just, it ended up off the table. So I was kind of, I think it was like May, end of April. Um, no, it had to be before that because the tournament was in March. Anyways, it was, it was, right around the end of the tournament and I didn't have a school I was going to I was kind of just like I I have no idea what's next like if I want to play somewhere I'm gonna have to walk on like I have no idea and I think it was at the state tournament or shortly after um that the Crookston coach my coach Mike Roisland he must have been at the state tournament because it was like not a day or two after we won state that coach Cos called me and he was like hey like this coach from Crookston is interested in you, you know, like, do you want to talk to him? And I'm like, sure, absolutely. So I called him and he was just singing my praises like left and right. Like I seen you play. I didn't know you weren't signed anywhere. Like there's no way that should, you know, be a thing. Like, are you interested in coming to my school? And I'm like, sure. I don't know anything about Crooks in Minnesota. Like never heard of it. But I'm like, sure. And he was like, I'll be up to see you tomorrow. I will be at Hopkins come see. So he drove up the next day. Um, we talked for maybe like an hour and then later that week, or it might've been a couple of days after that, he put out the offer, send me the, send me the letter and I signed it. I was committed right then and there, but it was the state tournament that honestly got me the offer to go and play college basketball. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do. Once that NDSU offer went away, I was like, yeah, this might be it. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen now? <laughs> I bet you it was those 15 points you scored against White Bear Lake. <laughs> Must have been that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it illustrates how you just never know. And even if you're not the star player, all it takes is a solid performance at the state tournament. Of course, that's where all the eyeballs are. And mm -hmm. coverage was, wasn't as easy to come by in your time as a high school athlete. YouTube was just becoming a thing, but we had no Instagram. Twitter was still relatively new. So it's not like what you see now where Paige Beckers has all of these fan accounts and Jalen Suggs and mm -hmm. Amaya Battle and people will just push out highlights and games and a massive following will eat it up. You had to work a little harder for it. Definitely. What would you say is the difference between then and now as far as getting yourself out there? Oh, it's definitely what you just mentioned. It was, like you said, it was so different growing up, you know, we didn't have as much social media, I guess social media wasn't as big of a thing as it is now. So, you know, you had to play in these games, 
you know, you never knew who was in the stands or, you know, these coaches would call you and they would come and watch you, so to speak. It's not like you really had film to send, you know, like you had the games recorded, but it's like, this is a full game. So they could be watching it to watch me, but they might see this other player that they end up liking, you know, liking better. Um, so now, you know, having so much access, like huddle, Instagram, YouTube, I mean, all those things, it's just, I don't want to say it's easier, but it's just so much more convenient for players now. Like you still have to work hard, but the publicity pretty much takes care of itself. Like if you're doing what you're supposed to do, your stuff is going to be out there. It's, it's just a lot easier, I guess. It's, I don't want to use that word, but that's what I'm going to use. And I did want to clarify something for any D2 fans out there. I said 7.1 points per game. That was her junior season. Her senior season at Minnesota Crookston, Ebony had 9.6. But what really impresses me, Ebony, those last couple of years, especially your free throw numbers, your senior season, 91.7. That is not a mark people hit at any level often. So you may not have been the star player, but you were clutch at the free throw line. How did you do it? Oh, practice, practice, practice. Um, I had no idea about that um, until maybe like the last five games of the regular season of my senior year. Uh, and I was honestly one of the players on the boys team. You know, we were like we would definitely on Sundays, we'd have like open gyms, like, you know, anybody would come and play. So we'd be in there, you know, the girls work out with the boys and we were getting shots up. And one of them were like, um, yeah, I'm not going to challenge her to a free throw contest. You know, she's fifth in the nation. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you, you didn't know. And I'm like, what don't I know? And he's like, yeah, you're like you're fifth in the nation for free throw percentage. And I'm like, no, no, not at all. And he was like, you shoot like 91 think it might have went up to like 95 percent I'm like really so then I went and looked it up and then one of the um, Sean that does like the interviews and stuff for Crooksy you know he interviewed me about it and I was like I I had no idea like nobody told me this like I just go up to line shoot free throws and go on about my day like it wasn't I wasn't trying to be fifth in the nation or whatever for free throw percentage like I just shot my free throws I had no idea about that no idea until members of the men's team refuse to go against you. Well, exactly. That, that tells you, though, I think that tells you how smart these basketball players are and how much they follow you know, both the men and the women that, OK, they do their business. And so it's like, yeah, we don't want to go against Ebony or we're going to lose some money. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy. I had I mean, like my coach didn't tell me none of that, but it's like. Those type of things, is, like I said, I didn't pay attention to. I would have never even thought it if it hadn't been brought to my attention. Like, would have just ended my season. Like, oh yeah, did you know you were fifth in the nation? I'd have been like, mm, oh, that's cool. I had no idea. Like, I had no idea, honestly. And that senior season where she was fifth in Division Two included a twelve of twelve mark against MSU Moorhead, and so you just attributed to practice. I know there's an art to free throws and it can sometimes be trickier the taller you are, but that being said, it is one of those things you can work on and you don't need anybody with you. It's something you can practice on your own, but I'm just curious, how did you develop that technique? Because you know there are some athletes that would dream of getting to 90% and here you are <laughs> becoming so good at free throws that 
the Mets players don't want to go against you. Oh yeah. I, I don't know. I never really had like a shooting coach, so to speak. Like I had people that would give me pointers and such things, but it's not like I couldn't shoot, but you know, like I guess at the free throw line, I was just comfortable. It's like, there's no pressure. You know, if you miss, Hey, you miss, if you make it even better, but you know, it's not like shooting a jump shot or somebody's hand in your, is in your face. You know, you're just standing there and you shoot it. So it was just, I guess I was just comfortable at the free throw line. Plus it was time where I could take a break. And I was always looking for a break. <laughs> so, yeah. The self-described pit bull looking for a chance <laughs> to take a break. Yeah. Who would have thought? Well, if anyone for Robbins Dale Cooper is watching this, if you decide to host a free throw fundraiser, Ebony, I was going to say, send all your pledges to Ebony and uh, you'll, you'll make a few bucks. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Of, they might make a little bit of money. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I think you still got that form in there somewhere. <laughs> somewhere. Might have to pull it out the closet, but yeah, somewhere. <laughs> what would you make of your experience as, as a Division II athlete? Because a lot of attention, kind of like your role at Hopkins, where you were the pit bull off the bench, the first woman off the bench. A lot of attention, a lot of hype surrounds Division One, Division Two, and Three. It's still an opportunity to play college basketball, but you kind of fly under the radar because most folks see Division One as that potential pathway to the pros or that pipeline. Division Two II and Three, not so much. So, it's a much different experience going from the pomp and circumstance at Hopkins to a smaller following, perhaps, at Crookston. Overall, though, what would you make of your time as a Division II student athlete? Yeah, um, I loved it, honestly. I think for myself, it was just the amount of, I don't want to say this, work, so to speak, I was looking for. <laughs> Were you looking to take um, a break again? <laughs> no, but, you know, like, uh, you know, the D1 level, you know, they have, obviously, you know, everybody has practice, you know, workouts, weightlifting, stuff like that but then you know the major d1s you have all the like media days and things like that like when you're at a d2 you have that but not on as great of a scale and i think that kind of helped me be more comfortable because i didn't so much have to worry about satisfying everybody you know like i think some people go d1 and they're like i have to go d1 because i have to get to this point or I have to satisfy this particular crowd. Whereas the level I was at is like, yeah, I'm going to school and I'm going to play basketball. Like that's, I'm going to play basketball. I'm going to get my education, but I'm on a scholarship. So I'm focusing on playing basketball, like all the other outside stuff, you know, it comes when it comes or it doesn't, you know, there's no hit or miss and you get out of it what you put into it. You know, you go to the D1 and you fool around, you're out of there. You go to D2, you fool around, you're out of there as well. So there's no difference in that, but the D2, you really get out of it what you put into it. D1, you don't put nothing into it, you're out of there. You put something into it, you could go or you could not go. D2, you can only go up, you know? So it was the perfect amount of work that I was looking back on. And technically that's the perfect amount of work I was looking for. I didn't have to worry about anything. I'm going there, I'm getting my education, I'm gonna play basketball. That's, that's what I wanted to do. So after you finished your time as a student athlete, I'm sure everyone coming behind you exhale, knowing that they wouldn't have to potentially face you in free throw challenges. <laughs> but 
after basketball, what would you make of these last few years before you got into coaching? Uh, what were you considering in terms of sports or career options? And what would you make of this journey since you graduated from college to where you are now? Mm -hmm. So um, I went to school for sports management. My plan from that was to get into personal training. And um, one of my goals is to still open up my own gym, like my own fitness facility for every type of sport. Um, so when I graduated, I moved down to Florida with my parents. That's where they currently live. Um, and, you know, I got a few jobs, you know, like I was working at IMG Academy, which is like a major place for sports in general. Um, but I got into coaching right away down there. Like my first year out of college, I coached um, a JV team in Bradenton, Florida. Um, and I was nervous about it. I didn't think coaching was something I would want to do. But once I got into it, I was like, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy this actually. So I coached down there at, um, at a high school for a year. And then I coached at a prep school for a year. And then I moved back up here. Um, and my first like half a year, a year, I didn't coach cause I was just looking for the perfect opportunity. And then Cooper opened up and I was like, yeah, you know, that, that could be interesting. So, I mean, I applied there and I was hired right away. So just all worked out yeah I didn't think coaching was something I would enjoy or maybe even you know be that good at I think I'm pretty decent you know I think I can teach the girls a little something <laughs> and I just think about the former players who have taken up coaching actually you and your crew succeeded Kiara Buford who won a state championship at Cooper and became the second woman to win a state title as a player and a coach in the entire state of Minnesota. So all 40 plus years of girls basketball, only two women have won titles as players and coaches. So you might have a chance to add your name to that list down the road, Ebony. We'll see, but what did you make of your first year? I believe this was your first year at Cooper or your second or? This is my second. Okay, so you joined them a couple seasons ago. On that note, how surreal was it? I think you played Hopkins because Cooper and Hopkins, they're in the same section. And even though Brian Cosgriff retired and is now being coached by, or should say Hopkins being coached by T.T. Starks's mother, how surreal was it knowing that one of your opponents was your alma mater you know, <laughs> with a lot of the folks who helped you become the player you are? Oh, it was uh, the first game last year against them. It was a love-hate relationship because, yes, I was excited to see them play, you know, from the sideline and see all the old coaches and catch up at the same time. You know, Hopkins is still that same animal that it was when we were there. So it's, you know, trying to coach against all that talent. Not that we don't have a lot of talent because we have a lot of talent as well, but trying to coach against all that, it's like, wow, I understand now why teams used to be so frustrated playing against us because they are just, I don't know. It, it's just different over there. <laughs> it's just different. 
it is different when you're the one doing the pummeling versus taking a beating from them or trying to figure out how do we stop this team? And I don't think you played them this year with the shortened schedule, but last year you had to go against Paige and Maya mm -hmm. and that super team that I often call them. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it was a humbling experience getting <laughs> the beat down on the other end. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely humbling. Um, like I said, we have talent our, on our end, like Mimi Wheeler for us. I mean, she's a different type of monster herself, but you know, with our smaller guards and we don't have as much depth as they do, you know, the game can get out of hand very quick. And like I said, Paige, you can throw as many different people as you want at Paige. Cause man, we have some great defensive players at Cooper, but she's like, she's just different. So yeah, it was, it was, it was humbling. It was frustrating, but it was like all in good fun at the same time. Like I wanted to be pissed at the loss because I didn't want to lose, but then it's like, you know, I just got to be happy that the girls just competed at some point. You know, it was, it was a whole circle of emotions when that happened. <laughs> I am curious, did you have an opportunity to reconnect with your former coach and Brian Cosgrip and what was that reunion like since the two of you got to cross paths? Yeah, we definitely got to reconnect. Um, he was actually very excited when he saw me. I think he seen me before I seen him when he came in the door, you know, he gave me a big hug. You know, he always calls me Ebbs. It's good to see you Ebbs. It's so good to see you, you know, he, all that. Um, but it was really great to catch back up with him. You know, he, we talked a little bit about basketball, you know, not too much because as close as you are with Coach Cos, you know, he's not going to get into details of what he's doing, you know, coaching wise. He's, you know, going to keep it straight business, but it was good to catch back up and see him, you know, like as his former athlete, but, you know, the respect coming from coaching on the other side of him. And even though you might have been infuriated at the demolishing that Hopkins gave you, when you look at their history, again, you won a state championship and then your successors won two more with Nia Coffey and Taylor Anderson and T.T. Starks, who was making her way up. Mm -hmm. And then they win another one in 2015 with T.T. again and Nia Holly, who would later become Miss Basketball. Mm -hmm. And you know, we'll never know if they would have won a state title last year. I think they would have, but we don't know because we never got the chance to see it play out, but Paige and her crew were always on the cusp and they finally get over that hump back in 2019. You had a chance to witness all of that from afar and up close when you returned to coach at Cooper. What would you make of the following the culture and just everything that has developed in this last decade that you could say was started with your crew, yourself, the Coffee Sisters, you helped plant that seed. Again, Hopkins was good before, but you put in the foundation that helped them become a national sensation where Slam is following them. And no matter where you go, national audiences will watch Hopkins games. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be a part of the history of that program. Like you said, like the seed's been planted. They still put in the same work so it's just it's exciting and it's cool to look back and see like hey we started that and also like to see they're still doing that but 
like they're even better at it now. Cause I think a lot of athletes nowadays are different than how we were. Like there's just so much more talent. So to see them put in, you know, the same amount of work, the same grind that we put in and we weren't halfway near as good as some of these athletes now. And, you know, they have all of that plus the natural talent that they have. I mean, it's, it's, it's honestly just amazing to have like your name in the history of that program. I mean, you have, you have to give them the respect because they are, they are what they are, but you can give Cooper respect as well. You know, we're coming up, <laughs> we're coming back. <laughs> well, I was going to say on the subject of Cooper, you came in after Kiara Buford, but you know, that was a school that didn't have a history and Hopkins and UConn and all of the big name powerhouses, they had to start somewhere too. And sometimes that journey takes a few setbacks like Hopkins where they can never win that state championship. And Paige was getting flack about it until she finally won and shut all the critics up. But, you know, Cooper didn't have much to speak of. Then Kiara Buford helps build that program up, take them to a state title. Obviously being in the same section as Hopkins and Wyzetta makes that a challenge, but you know, you are doing your best to continue what Kiara and her group started what would you make of your time at Cooper and how do you think that has helped you grow and learn as a coach? Yeah. Um, yeah. Buford was a great coach for the girls. You know, they did a great job at winning state. Um, now being in the different section and being in the Hopkins section, it, like you said, it is tougher going up against them, you know, for sections. Cause honestly, that's, that's the hardest part. Like, I feel like, you know, if you get through Wyzetta, you can get through Hopkins, you know, it gets a little bit easier, unfortunately, which it shouldn't be that way. Um, but Cooper, we're, we're very young. I mean, you know, we're graduating our big three, you know, Mimi Wheeler, Andrea Tribble, Jayla Relaford, you know, those names have been around for a long time. You know, they're, this is their last year, so they're done. Um, but we're a very young team and we're going to be very, very competitive, I would say in two years. In two years, I think people will be talking about Cooper program in a different light than what they're talking about it as now. Like, yeah, they know them as, you know, they won state a few years ago, they were competitive, but they didn't know anything about them before. These next couple of years, I really think Cooper's gonna get their name out there a lot more than what's been out there in the past. Um, working with these girls, you know, at the age I'm at, um, since I'm a little younger than a lot of other coaches, um, I feel like we can relate better. You know, you have a lot of older coaches, you know, they tell you stuff, you know, they might tell you why, you know, help you get better, but being a, on the younger side with them, um, I feel like I can tell them stuff in a way to help them kind of understand it better. Um, one of the biggest coaches or one of the best coaches I had was Paul Hill, who really taught me the game of basketball. You know, he taught me a lot of cause and effect. You know, if this happens, there's only this and this that can happen because of that. So a lot of what I try to do with my girls, like I said, athletes are different nowadays. They are just, they're just much better athletes nowadays. So when I tell my girls, you know, that was great, you know, but next time do this instead, because she's going to only do this and she's going to only do that. So we get a relationship where it's like, okay, coach, I, I hear what you're talking about, but can I do this instead? And it's like, sure, but then this is going to happen. So I really try to, you know, talk to them in a way that they can understand it and break down the game um, 
a little differently than what, you know, some older coaches may, you know, what their approach may be. So I think that's been the greatest um, lesson, so to speak, or what I can give back to my girls, you know, being able to communicate with them, like on a more personable level, so to speak. Granted, I'm still their coach and they still know not to, you know, get crazy with me because we are close in age, but, you know, I can still relate to them a little better. What have you learned through your coaching experience? You know, you grew up working with a lot of coaches as a player. What is it like when the tables turn and now you're the one riding the bench, guiding the next generation of athletes and leaders? What do you learn from that? How does that humble you? And what excites you about the opportunity to be a coach yourself? Yeah. Um, one of the hardest things, I don't think I realize it as a coach or as a player for other coaches, is learning the players and how they work, right? Like there's so many different personalities. There's so many different ways that players learn things or the way that they need things to be successful. So learning how to do that for each player without changing your coaching style, so to speak, or your coaching method would probably be like the hardest part and like the best lesson at the same, at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, it's, it takes a lot. I think it takes a lot more than people realize to be a coach and to be a committed coach, to be a dedicated coach. So, you know, you're actually giving players what they need and getting them better. It takes, it takes a lot. I mean, you have good days, you have bad days, you have great days, but seeing those players actually develop, like seeing them get better year after year, not just staying stagnant. That's one of the most rewarding things as a coach. And I think that's part of the reason I continue to coach because I can look at players from last year to this year and I can say you have gotten so much better or I can look at players and I can say you are not getting better so what do we need to do to fix it that's that's one of the most exciting pieces that one of the reasons I also love to coach is that an experience that you will share with your newborn child down the road <laughs> um maybe I might, I might coach him if he gets in the sports. I might leave that to his father. <laughs> that might be a better option. <laughs> so does he have a name? Oh, yes. Um, we just call him Trey. Um, he's named after his dad. So his, he's the third generation. So his name's Taj Rich III. We just call him Trey. So when Trey gets older, we may dabble in the coaching. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, Ebony, actually, I think that uh, fits seamlessly because Trey, the Spanish pronunciation for three or the Spanish word for three or Trey's actually, but we mm. use Trey in basketball to describe three. So I think you have a little nickname, <laughs> little branding thing going there with Taj there. If you just call him Trey, it's like, hey, he is Taj Rich the third. So Trey fits right in. It fits right in, you know, hopefully he wants to do sports, you know, whatever he wants to do, we'll support him, you know, we'll back him. Obviously, I do hope it's sports since over his parents, you know, basketball player and his father was a football player. So hopefully sports is down the line, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. He's only four months, so we got a way to go. <laughs> got a ways to go. You know what this means? He'll probably take up soccer or baseball. And if, well, and if that's the case, I'm sure he'll be right there cheering him on. Yep. Somebody else will just have to help them get better because those, those aren't our expertise. 
On the plus side, though, it's nice when you can watch a sport and just be the oblivious fan as opposed to basketball and football where, you know, so many axes and O's. And I think the coach and the player inside of you wants to come out and break everything down. I think there's a certain freedom to just watching a sport and enjoying it for what it is. Exactly. There are a few things I'd like to ask all my guests on this podcast, Ebony, and I'll throw this out at you. Throughout your athletic career, what would you say was the most exciting moment and the most embarrassing moment? (laughs) The most exciting moment. Hmm. Um, Uh, Well, in high school, obviously the state championship, that's the most exciting. Um, In college, the most exciting? I don't know. There's there's a lot of exciting things that happened in college. I don't think I could pick just one. So we'll just say college altogether was exciting. Um, the most embarrassing thing. Most embarrassing. <laughs> the most embarrassing one was in high school as well. I don't think I really did anything embarrassing in college. I think I kind of had it together. Um, <laughs> in high school. And uh, I think it was fall league. Um, we, I think we were playing at Jefferson or Kennedy, one of the two. Um, I don't know which assistant coach was coaching us. Coach Cos might have been coaching us as well. I, I don't even remember. But um, I got to start a game. Right, you're just doing rotation. So I started a game. The jump ball. It comes to me, and I take off, and I go the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> to try and score and then you know like they yell my name and I realize it so I turn around and go back the other direction but when I came off the court once I finally got myself and I came off I was like yeah I'm never starting ever again <laughs> he's never gonna let me forget it that was probably the most embarrassing thing that happened and it was so sad so so embarrassing that's actually really embarrassing when that happens <laughs> At least you stopped yourself before you scored on the wrong basket. There are some players who ended up scoring in the wrong basket. Yeah, if I had scored, I probably would have not played the rest of Fall League, honestly. So, <laughs> oh, it was Fall League. So, okay. <laughs> like, imagine if that happened in the regular season. I might as well have just turned my jersey and I would have been off the team. <laughs> Now I know why you were the sixth woman or the first off the bench. Exactly. <laughs> it all makes sense now. You put two and two together. <laughs> so that no one would ever have to worry about you running the wrong way. Exactly. <laughs> I would like to think, though, that being fifth in the nation in free throw percentage would be an exciting moment. But then again, you didn't know you were in the top 10. I had no idea. I, like I said, I wasn't one of those players that like kept up with all the stats and the accolades and stuff. So like I said, I just went through college and I just played basketball. Like I did what I needed to do, what I wanted to do, honestly. Another question I like to throw out is based on a question that comes up in the annual breakdown guidebook. You probably are familiar with that. So Ebony, what would you say is the most unusual thing about yourself that people wouldn't necessarily know when they meet you for the first time? Ooh, the most unusual thing? I don't know. I honestly like to think I'm an open book. I feel like 
I don't really have anything that's unusual. Um, yeah, I mean, now the most unusual thing would be like, I have a child because a lot of people just wouldn't think that. <laughs> that probably is the most unusual thing now. But other than that, I, I don't really know. Like you and I were talking this week. I'm like, I don't really have, I don't have any secrets. I don't really have any big stories. You know, like I'm just, I'm just me. I tell people all the time, like I'm, I'm just me. <laughs> I'm convinced there's at least one story of you hustling at the free throw line. Now that I know just how good you were, I'm like, I, there has to be a moment where you took advantage of that and maybe <laughs> used it to win a few bets. I don't know. Nope. No, <laughs> no I swear there wasn't. Uh, Ebony, you, you missed an opportunity. <laughs> I know. Miss, missed out on a couple extra dollars here and there. <laughs> I was going to say, though, to your point, I suppose it might seem unusual now, probably a few months ago, although we haven't had a lot of in-person meetings, but a few months ago when you were still carrying your son, mm -hmm. might have been a little more noticeable, but I'm guessing a few months later, now that your baby is out of you, mm -hmm. yeah. I suppose maybe a little more unusual now, right? Definitely, yeah, definitely unusual. <laughs> I mean, it's still new to me, so I know when other people see me, they're like, wait, what? What happened here? I'm like, yeah. I don't know, but here he is. <laughs> I will give you this. You are the first Hopkins graduate that I know of who has now become a parent. I'm sure you're not the only one, but it is a little fun fact. And it just goes to show that I've been covering this sport for way too long because Kiara, I remember covering her when she was in high school and now she has two kids and seeing former players become coaches and seeing a few of them make the WNBA here going, man, I don't feel so young anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I agree. Coaching some of the players that, you know, or seeing them play now at the high school level that were like coming up when I was in school, I'm just like, wow, like you, you're an adult now. Like, this is crazy. That means I'm an adult, which is crazy. <laughs> With everything you've experienced as a player and a coach, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Ooh, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> um, one of the things I would tell my younger self would be to continue to stay true to who you are. Um, no matter what you're going through, no matter who you're going through it with, like stay true to who you are because that you are going to be the only one that can get you to where you want to go and get you through what you're going to go through. I would always definitely tell myself to stay true to who you are. I believe I stayed true to who I was throughout, you know, all my years of playing. Um, still as a coach, I feel like I stay true to who I am. Um, the other thing I would tell myself, and I know coaches, parents, everybody tells players this all the time is like, always work hard. Like I can look back now and I'm just like, yeah, I wasn't working that hard at this point or this point, you know, and I tell players all the time, like, you're not working hard enough. And they're just like, I am. And I'm like, you're not. <laughs> and I know you're not like, now I understand what, you know, coaches mean by that. Um, so I always say that as well, like always work hard, put in the extra work. I'll just always work hard. Those would be the two things I would tell myself. Was that something you told Cause or Paul Hill once you got into coaching and, you know, some of the things maybe they talked about with you started to click? Uh, no, 
I would never tell them. That <laughs> <laughs> would be right. I would never tell them. <laughs> I mean, that being said, though, it, it, I just look back, and even for someone who claims not to have an interesting story, I'm guessing Paul Hill, that was more in the traveling or AAU circuit. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you get to work with Coach Cause and his staff mm-hmm. in high school ball. So you got to experience and learn from two guys who have a huge imprint of women's basketball. We'll always remember what Brian Cosgrove did for the Hopkins program. And with Paul, I have covered every one of his daughters. All, I should say all but one. I miss Tanisha because uh, she graduated a few years before I did. But I remember covering Taylor Hill. And then a few years later, I see, oh, she's got sisters now. So Morgan, Jade, and Angel, and they just keep coming. And I, I <laughs> yeah. joke that I will probably continue cover the Hill family until I get older, die. Probably. And let's just hope we get old first, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, another coach, though, I do want to put out there. Um, my college coach, Mike Roislin, I definitely learned a lot from him as well. But a coach that joined the coaching staff at Crookston, um, Coach Camille, um, her last name just changed because she got married, but she played at Iowa. Um, she joined our coaching staff our my junior year, I believe, and she definitely helped take those last two years she definitely helped me take my game to the next level she was one of the coaches that made me realize or kind of like put it in my brain that you know like this team is going to do what you want this team to do like I was never like I said like the leading scorer the go-to person or who they were talking about but if I wasn't on the court it was a problem. And she was the one that told me that. And I never realized it until I think like halfway through my junior year, I just like sprained my ankle one game and I had to sit out for the weekend. And we were just like a completely different team. So I never realized that, like I said, that's not something I would pay attention to, but she's the one that pointed that out and made me really realize like how much of a difference like I make on the court you know, outside of just scoring. So I definitely want to give a shout out to her as well. She definitely helped change my game the last two years of college. So those three probably be the most influential. And that is a very studious point you made, Ebony, because some players, I can't say for sure who, because I'm not a gossip guy. I don't go around and look for dirt like that. That's just not my style. But how many times have we heard conversations come up about scoring or starting or playing time. I'm sure that's something you're dealing with now as a coach and to have someone reach out to you and say, Oh, this is what our team looks like with you in it. Even if you're not the leading score. And I'm sure when she told you that you're probably thinking of all the times you made a difference for Hopkins, even though you didn't start for them. Same thing. You were just as vital to that team as the big names were you know, I'm sure everyone has dreams of starting or being the leading scorer. You know, who doesn't want to get that pomp and circumstance and all of the hype and aura, whatever adjective you want to use. Mm-hmm. But to have someone who understands that it's a team sport, and even if you're coming off the bench, you know, your role can still matter. Yep. 
Yep. And I have conversations with my girls like that all the time. Like I'm, I'm pretty much the defensive coach for Cooper. Um, so I tell my girls all the time, like if you work hard and you can play defense, it's like, I'll put you on the floor. I don't care if you can't walk and dribble. I don't care if you can't throw the ball off the backboard. I don't care if you throw it over the backboard. Like if you can play defense, I can teach you how to catch the ball and pass it. Right. I can eventually teach you how to dribble, but if you work hard, you're going to get on the floor. I can't teach somebody how to be aggressive. I can't teach somebody how to work hard. I can tell them how to do it, ask them to do it, but you know, you can't, you can't teach work ethic. You can't teach that. So I always tell my girls that like, if you work, you'll play for me point blank period. So, yeah. You're the defensive coach. I suppose it makes sense because if you worked on offense, <laughs> folks might be asking, why would the, we, why would she be running offense if she's running tip-offs the wrong way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. On defense, you don't have to worry about that. Exactly. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> You're just focused on the getting the stop. <laughs> wow. Ebony, I'm not going to forget this for a while, but... <laughs> In your defense, though, to make this a little easier on you, I will say this, my most embarrassing moments, this probably has never happened to you, but I've covered a lot of games as a media member, especially the WNBA, where you, you go into the locker rooms to interview players after the game. Well, there was one game, one instance where a security guard thought we were cleared and we weren't, and I ended up walking in while the entire Atlanta Dream roster was changing out of their uniform. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You can probably imagine how quickly I turned around and got out of there. Oh my goodness. Did you end up going back when you were finally cleared or were you too embarrassed by then? The latter. <laughs> okay. We'll just go with the latter. Okay. But you know, a guy walking in a locker room full of women that could go south in a hurry if you're not careful. And you know, I certainly don't want to lose the credentials. So you might've run the wrong way on a tip off and nearly scored for the other team, but I'm guessing that never happened to you. Nah, nope, nothing like that. <laughs> I do want to leave you with this since you spoke of all the people, coaches and players that have helped make this journey a fun, exciting one for you, even if your story isn't all that interesting. <laughs> What are some moments or memories with your high school teammates, your college teammates, or even as a coach that, you know, symbolize the friendships you've built, the camaraderie that you have forged that wouldn't be there if you never took up this sport of basketball? Oh, man, plenty, plenty, plenty of lifelong friends. You know, I still keep in touch and hang out with, you know, people from the high school team. Um people from my college team, we don't all live in the same area, but you know, I get invited to weddings and um, one of my former teammates, you know, she actually coaches at Kennedy. So EC Ray, you know, I communicate with her all the time. Um, and I just like plenty of like little memories. You know, some of them don't need to be mentioned <laughs> on your podcast, but you know, like little memories from high school, you know, different things coming up that you experience at high school of, you know, different dances, different parties here and there, um, you know, college, just becoming adults together with your teammates, you know, that's an experience in, ex in itself. Um, and then as a coach, like I said, just seeing these girls, you know, transform into who they are. Like, I can honestly say like our three seniors that are leaving this year, like I have, I mean, even though I've only had them for two years, I've definitely seen them and they're still, you know, goofy kids because 
that's just who they are but you know I've seen them grow into young women on their own so they definitely are leaving you know in a better place so to speak so just you know all those things all in one they're just all great memories and I'm just going to have for a lifetime and I'm going to continue to make more as I coach and on that subject I don't know how much you kept in touch with the players that came after you. It sounds like you still get along well with your high school teammates, but I was thinking about the time you got to coach against Hopkins and see the next generation. And I'm sure you heard about the players who came after you that went on to play division one and forged their own path, whether it was the coffee sisters, TT Starks, who's now a graduate assistant at UConn, who knows, maybe we'll see her on a division one coaching sideline before long. Nia Holly missed basketball, starting her own business after four years at Michigan State. Paige mm -hmm. Beckers will probably see her in the WNBA in a few years. Oh I'm God. going out on a limb. I that <laughs> I know that it's going to take a lot of work to get there. I just have this feeling. But when you look back on what you accomplished and now getting to see some of your successors again whether it was coaching against them or maybe getting the chance to connect with them through other engagements how would you say you have grown as a leader now that you're a coach and you're the one relaying advice to some of the younger brethren whether they play for hopkins like you did or play for cooper where you're coaching or just elsewhere yeah um ooh. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, just being able to coach like through the eyes of somebody that wasn't a big name, so to speak. I feel like that is just, I, like I said, I can relate to girls better, like on that level. Like I can relate to more of the players than just, you know, the ones that are here and there. So having all these experiences with, you know, the bigger players, you know, being friends with them, knowing what they went through and keeping up with them, you know, taking all that into consideration, like you can just relate to people and you connect with people from all parts, like the whole total, the whole circle, I guess, so to speak, like, I don't, like it's not just one dimensional because I can relate to younger players because when I played with TT, so to speak, you know, like she was young, but she was good. So, like, you know, you still had to help her like understand a little bit more, but she was a great player. So like the younger players that I coach, you know, I understand what they're going through because I was there with TT going through it. Or like, you know, the older girls that I played with when I went to college, like I know how they feel about playing with, you know, somebody younger like me that didn't get it. So the older girls at Cooper, I can talk to them and let them know like, hey, they don't have this because of this, that, and the other. So like I said, it just, all those experiences, they just come full circle. So you're able to be better at what you wanna do because you have experiences from all around. As crazy as this might sound, is there anything else about your story, your journey with basketball and sports that you would like to add? Um, I don't think so. I think you know all the good stuff, I guess. <laughs> well, it sounds like there's more, but maybe on a future podcast, we don't want to 
<laughs> let out all the dirt just yet because we'd have nothing to look forward to. But I get what you were talking about with some of the things you wouldn't necessarily mention on air, some of those inside <laughs> jokes and things that yeah. <laughs> make more sense among teammates and the people who can speak your language of basketball. If you were to tell me, it'd be like, uh, okay, you, you, I, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know we hope next winter will be a little more normal, but uh, I'll ask you this, is a head coaching gig in your future? Is that something you're considering? Um, definitely, I would definitely love a head coaching position. Um, when I took this job at Cooper the, with the current head coach, you know, he gave me a time frame for how long he wanted to coach, how long he wanted to be involved because he has a daughter in the program. And like you said, he wanted to be one of the parents that can step away and enjoy you know, his daughters, well, he has daughters in the program. He can enjoy them both playing from, you know, the sidelines instead of like on the bench coaching them. You know, he just wants to be a parent in the stands. So we talked about a timeline. Um, I think he's going to stay committed longer than what he says. So I hope he's watching because I feel like he is because he loves the game too much. Um, but definitely a head coaching position. You know, if something falls into my lap, um, I don't plan on leaving Cooper anytime soon I don't I don't think that's not in my plan you know if something happens something happens um but I have a pact with one of my well she's a ninth grader now um she told me I can't leave Cooper until she graduates <laughs> so we have a pact together that I can't leave until then um but I would definitely love to be a head coach one day have my own program whenever that time comes you know if it's the right opportunity I'll take it. If it doesn't happen, then obviously it's not the right time. You know, I'm not pressed about it being in a certain time frame. Whenever it comes, I'll know if it's the right fit or not. So to anyone watching any high schools out there in about three years, <laughs> Ebony will be available to add to your ranks. I do appreciate your commitment because how many times do people say they'll follow through. Of course, if the opportunity comes that you can't pass up, I'm sure she understands that you would go after it. But Definitely. for now, <laughs> you've got three years to prepare for Ebony. And by then she will be a well-oiled coaching machine ready to deliver wins and wisdom. It's not just about the win-loss record. As Ebony and I have illustrated through this conversation, there's so much more to coaching, so much more to offer. Whereas Nia Holly puts it, you meet a lot of people through this little thing called basketball. Definitely. And I don't think the only time I think we even mentioned stats or when I do these podcasts and I look it up outside of that, I'm like, oh, wait, you won that many games? <laughs> How <laughs> yeah. many points? I mean, as strange as it sounds, for me, the older I get, the less I care about who wins and loses. <laughs> yeah. All about what happens in the moment. Well, and you just you understand as you and I have witnessed in this last year and change, there's a world out there and it goes far beyond championships and win loss records. So, yes, the success that Hopkins has had, the success that Cooper has had is a great window to introduce yourself to the masses. But, you know, at some point, all those numbers, all those points, all those wins and losses, they go out the window. It's how do you present yourself as a leader. And I'd say, Ebony, you are certainly creating that path and that identity as a leader and an inspiration for others. You may not have an interesting story, but 
I have a feeling that story resonates with the players you're coaching and anyone who will be blessed enough to work with you in the future. Thank you. I hope it does also. They can get something out of it at least. <laughs> well, hey, you got a state title out of it. How cool would it be to win another one as a coach? That'd be wonderful. <laughs> I would love that. Your, her story isn't done yet. Well, thanks, Ebony, for sharing your journey with us, your expedition, and I can't wait to see what comes your way. I hope I can get back out there and cover your games in person. It's been a long year sitting at home yeah. doing what I can to stay safe, but I'm doing that so it will be a lot easier to cover games and not worry about making you or anyone else sick. That's why I've been doing these podcasts, but I've enjoyed this too, because it's a chance to learn about athletes like yourself, past and present in ways we wouldn't expect, or we wouldn't necessarily consider when we're watching games and focused on the rankings and the records and are they gonna win state? Well, every athlete, every coach has a story behind them. And I'm glad you shared part of that with us. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. Like I said, I don't think I have a, interesting story but you know i'm willing to share it somebody will get something out of it and you know when things do go back to normal you know you always have a place on our sideline if you want to come watch well i'm sure your significant other will watch this your head coach and your former coach and brian cosgriff i'm sure when they see this and hear about your story not to being interesting enough <laughs> i've got a feeling they're going to hit you up and go yeah i've got something to say about that yeah i'm sure I'll, i was already getting some messages i'm sure some people will be like you didn't talk about this you didn't talk about this what about this and i'm gonna be like uh i didn't even think about it <laughs> well that's not what i was getting at what i was saying is i'm sure your supporters whether they're family coaches your basketball peeps all of that i'm sure they're gonna come at you and, and go like you didn't think that was interesting? Oh yeah, probably, probably. <laughs> your, your players are gonna go like, I didn't know about that. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you, don't sell yourself short, Ebony. It might not seem interesting to you, but to your players at Cooper or wherever you coach, it could mean the world to them. True, very true, I'll keep that. <laughs> well, thanks again. And I just hope I'm around long enough to cover your son. And if you have any more kids along the way, uh, mm -hmm. it'll be about, 14, 15 years before I get there. So I'll be close to 50 by then, but, uh, <laughs> but something to strive for, right? Right, definitely. Well, in the meantime, you can see her on the sidelines next winter at Robbinsdale Cooper. Again, their season came to an end, but hopefully this time around next winter, it will be safer to gather in groups again so we can cheer her on and everyone else who is trying to make a name for themselves in basketball on the court and in society. And Ebony certainly doing that at Hopkins, at Crookston, and at Cooper. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. And if you want to be a guest for a future episode of this podcast, just hit us up on social media at the Mike Peden on Twitter or Instagram. All you need is a good story and we're happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mic'd Up Sports.